this you, you almost like develop a little bit of a sense of imposter syndrome right it's like do did i actually like make all of this happen or like am i entitled to this do i deserve this right and and so you you know maybe i don't know if it's like I've had to check my humility a couple of times over my life. Right. So, and, you know, and, and sometimes you get punched in the face a bit by life as well. And so you maybe just like get a little bit gun shy. Right. And you're like, oh, is this, is this too good to be true? Like where, what's the catch here? Right? In today's episode, we have Daniel Fosch who took being conscripted into the Swiss army to find his passion in real estate. This is building billions podcast where we cover the risks and rewards of success. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the Building Billions podcast. Excited to have you on. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So shall we talk about real estate and get to know you and your story? Yeah, sounds good. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So uh, well, that's a good thing. I, I guess that's why I'm here, right? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So walk me through your story, how you ended up here, and then we'll go into the nitty gritty. Sure. Yeah, okay. That sounds good. Um, yeah, so I, I, I came from a, a real estate family. Family. My my parents were both in, in sales and investment. And um, so I did an undergrad in, in real estate. I mean, there's probably a lot more to the story before that. But let's maybe start at university when I was an adult because it gets a little messy before that. Um, oh, but we like a little bit of golden nuggets from before. Come on. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I mean, so yeah, so so true story. I, I was uh, I was actually working in the horse industry. I was I was on a farm and uh, I planned to probably spend the rest of my life doing that. And uh, I got uh, that the farm got hit by a tornado. Okay. Wait. What in the horse? industry did you do what specifically i i picked up the rails like when people were doing show jumping they would knock down the rails it's called ring crew anybody like who were who's in the horse industry will know what i'm talking about but uh i rode polo, polo horses growing up so I... oh yeah there you go yeah so that's a more civil industry i think than, than the one i was in but uh but yeah, so the, so well, I'm, I'm sure you know about when RCRA got hit with a tornado in like, I don't know when that was, 15 years ago, maybe now. Anyway, so that kind of like ended things for me. Um, and then I, I'm half Swiss, so I got conscripted to the military around the same time and uh, in Switzerland. Went to Switzerland, did the military thing and uh, decided, okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not cut out for a full lifetime of physical labor after that uh, experience. And so... I decided to to go to university. That was between high school and university. And then I... Okay, wait, we have to dive into the Swiss Army. What was that experience? Please give me something. <laughs> yeah, so so in Switzerland, they conscript uh, any Swiss nationals to have... They want, like they have a standing army. They're neutral, but they have a standing army. And so every every man in the country goes to to train when they're 18 years old. And so I did that. I moved there. Um, I, I thought there would be value to having my Swiss citizenship. So I wanted to do what I, what I could to, to keep it. And yeah, so I moved there. Um, I didn't know the language. I didn't, uh, didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, yeah, and I, I, I actually ended up being honorably discharged, but, uh, not like, you know, not for any, any issues, but, uh, so I was there for, for a shortened period of time, but, uh, it was a really, really interesting experience anyway. Um, then I came back to Canada, did an, yeah, did an undergrad in real estate. Give me one takeaway from it and then we'll move forward. Um, it just gave me, I would say like the big thing that it, that it gave me an understanding of like the struggles that, I mean, in, in a country like Canada, especially like the struggles that people moving here experience, like, especially with language barriers and things like that. Um, but even like, you know, the minor, um, variations of like, where you can easily be left out of certain things in society or marginalized for language differences or cultural differences or whatever it is. I mean, it really shed a lot of light on that for me as a Canadian, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess the next the next piece was yeah, you know, sort of what we're what we're here to talk about, which is I got into the real estate space like shortly thereafter. So I did an undergrad in real estate and I was in the co-op program. So I got a lot of experience working in the industry throughout that and uh, worked with a couple of different you know institutions. I worked at a REIT. I worked at uh, a large commercial brokerage firm in the city. Um, and then I just, I, I knew I wanted to invest and I knew I wanted to get into to real estate sales and, and investment sales especially. And so I kind of just really tried to target a lot of my decisions on my career trajectory to get there and and i guess i'm kind of slowly getting there now right absolutely it's all about the journey so if you were to break down investment to someone who has no prior knowledge into it when it comes to real estate investment what are three things that someone has to look out for yeah so i i probably have a different perspective toward it than most people especially in the canadian market but I look at it very much like value investing the way that you would somebody like Warren Buffett as an example. So the rule number one of, of uh, value investing for Warren Buffett is never lose money, right? So I would say that that's probably the most important piece of the puzzle. And so that means focusing on properties that, that cash flow. And a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, the real money in real estate is made in capital appreciation. But the reality is properties that uh, that cash flow, properties that... that um, that function well as investments will appreciate as well. You know, good assets appreciate, and so I think number one is is never lose money. So let's call that cash flow. Number two is capital appreciation, but understanding how those two things can work in conjunction with one another. And then the final one, I would be, I would think that most people need to get an understanding for is how leverage works, right? How debt works, how credit works. I think that real estate is a good investment, and you can very easily make it a bad investment if you are in a bad leverage position. You know, real estate doesn't bankrupt people. If you buy a piece of real estate cash, it's going to go up in value and it's going to cash flow. If you buy a real estate uh, a piece of real estate with too much debt, then it can very easily, you know, cause extreme financial stress for you and we're seeing that happening at scale in the Canadian market right now. Mhm. What are you seeing right now in the landscape with everything that's coming? Uh, I mean, I'm starting to see signs of distress. Like on the, the from a data perspective, we're seeing an increase in power of sales, like a hundred percent increase in power of sales um, month over month. Um, yeah, which is like, I mean, it's it's still like less than a hundred power of sales as an example on the Toronto real estate board. So it's it's not a lot by any means, but um, but we're starting to see signs of financial stress. I think Yahoo Finance just did a poll that you know. 45% of variable mortgage rate holders would have to sell within nine months as an example. So I think that you know the, the leverage part that I just mentioned is starting to take its toll on the Canadian market. As prices went up, people had to use more and more debt to be able to afford those homes. We started seeing people using variable rate mortgages last year because, or uh, I guess 2021 and 2022, because th- that would qualify them for a higher amount. It was the only way that they could buy a house in the GTA or in, you know, lower mainland or many parts of Canada. And now there's consequences associated with that, that, that type of credit product. And so we're starting to see financial stress. We're seeing prices are down a little bit, you know, 20%, let's say. Um, 
And and I think the market's kind of just trading sideways and trying to figure out what happens next. Are you seeing a slowdown in the investment market as well? Or just because the pricing is kind of stabilizing to some extent, are you seeing people jumping in more? They're trying to, I would say. But so as a rule, you know, you typically and, and a lot of people broke this rule for the past several years. But as a rule, an investment typically can't be viable if the cap rate. So the the cap rate is the net operating income divided by the purchase price of the property. It's usually the easiest way to to look at properties side by side. You know, it's a it's a way to to value property based on how much money it makes. Um, so if the cap rate is lower than the interest cost, then there's a high likelihood that that investment isn't going to be viable. And and so right now we're at a point where cap rates, sellers price expectations. So the, the, the denominator of that equation that I just mentioned, um, they haven't come down enough yet to increase the the cap rate. So increase the investment, potential investment returns of properties that you can buy in the market today. And so what's it, what this has created is an environment where there are a lot of people who are really do want to buy real estate. They've seen prices come down in the, in the uh, resale market and the residential market. And they've said, this might be a once in a lifetime buying opportunity. You know, I've been waiting. I've, I've always thought the, the Canadian housing market was too risky. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking I would love to jump in, um, but I can't find anything that's a good investment or I can't find anything that makes sense as an investment at current interest rates. And that is, is sort of where we're at right now, where the volume is really low because a lot of buyers want to buy, but they can't find a good deal. Yeah, that makes sense. And then within the market space, what would you recommend to people in this current juncture? Is it a sit and hold? Is it a explore certain opportunities? Where are we at? Yeah, I think a lot of people are adopting a wait and see mentality. And I, I would encourage people who are waiting to probably also, rather than waiting to see, like actively pursuing, you know, it's kind of like people come out of university with this expectation that, they're going to find their dream career as an example, but you kind of have to actively cultivate that. And it's like the same thing. Like you don't just find good deals. You have to make them and, or you don't just find good investments. You have to make them like, you know, I personally purchased a property in the past couple of weeks for 90% of asking price. And you didn't see that for the past five years, but most people aren't, they're not out there. Right. And most people, they weren't out there. They aren't out there right now going in and looking at a lot of properties and throwing in lowball offers or bad offers or whatever it is and putting in hundreds of offers before they get that, find that one good deal. They're just waiting. And they're going to, what they're probably waiting for is for the market to look like it's going up again and then they'll jump back in. But the circumstances that would create that environment is, you know, you're in a recovery phase. And at that point, everybody wants to get back in. The fear's gone. And so, you know, everybody wants to kind of like time the market per se, but you can't really do that. And so the easiest way to think about it is, and this is how I advise most of my clients and any, any investors that I speak with is when prices are high, there's very little um, potential upside above you, right? But there's tons of potential downside below you. And as prices come down, there's less downside below you and more upside above you. And so... It's a lot easier to get a good deal on the way down than it is on the way up. But most people are too afraid to, to do so because we have this really like herd mentality associated with this consumer sentiment in Canadian real estate. So 
just understanding the risk profile and knowing when to start looking for for opportunities is is really what I'm advising most people to do and understanding that we're probably going to be at the bottom per se for a long time, like a year. It'll, it, the market's probably going to trade flat for like a year. And that's that's a good period of time for people to buy, trade in and out of the market. And would you suggest if someone's sitting on the capital that they invest and then there are other opportunities like Airbnbs and and other like sharing economy frameworks for you to invest in and keep the cash flow going? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think Airbnb is, you know, an interesting example. Um, I think it's somewhere between an investment and a side hustle. Like it's definitely a little bit more management intensive than, but, but you know, like renting to, to residential tenants, at least in the province of Ontario can all, all also be a, a bit of a side hustle because it, it can be cumbersome as a landlord because we don't have a really good court system to help, you know, people manage that relationship. Well, I think that's maybe the most diplomatic way I can possibly say it. With, the last couple of years, also the tenancy board has gotten inundated um, and there's a bit of a backlog. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, like Airbnb is a great way to, to boost your cash flow, but it is kind of legislatively becoming a bit of a risk factor. So it may not be something stable enough to say, okay, yeah, this if this property only makes sense as an Airbnb, it might be a little bit too risky to put all of your eggs in that basket and then all of a sudden the municipality comes along and regulates that 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 income stream out of existence which you know we're seeing in toronto right now um with you know the the city of toronto cracking down on airbnbs and 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 rightfully so it's a big threat to the to the housing crisis and the housing stock um so you got to be careful with ones like that i think you know there are time trust time tested and true yeah there is also the hotel tax um I, I believe the legislative framework is is approaching it from a tourism board perspective as well um and the hotel lobby framework for it as well that makes sense in terms of a portfolio as a whole, what would you recommend for people to look at whether it's commercial residential? Um, and other opportunities, even fractal fractal ownership as well. Like, what are all the pieces that someone could have in their their tool belt to explore? Yeah, I think in the fullness of time, I think having a diverse portfolio is is great. And if you can get a mix of, you know, residential and commercial assets, it's you know ultimately going to be a more stabilized portfolio even mixed use like there's some great opportunity for stuff in Toronto where you have ground floor retail and maybe some residential or office above the challenge with commercial assets is it's really sophisticated type of financing to get so usually I'll, and, and there's nothing wrong with specialization right like you know returning to value investing in Warren Buffett you know diversification is for people who don't know how to specialize in something so you you can be a specialist. You can be a specialist in Airbnb. You can be a specialist in in cash flowing residential, as an example. I would say, from a portfolio strategy perspective, if we're talking from the ground up in today's market, it's easiest to get credit for um, residential, small residential, multifamily. So fewer than four units is after four units, most lenders start considering it a commercial loan, and becomes a little bit more challenging to get financing. Um, and then also from a, a policy perspective. There's a lot of policies that are encouraging the addition of value to small residential properties. So Bill 23 in Ontario, as an example, you can now, well, you eventually ideally will be able to add up to three extra units to a single family detached home uh, without paying development charges. 
which development charges yeah yeah so development charges for a new unit condo unit in the city of toronto would be like 60 to ninety thousand dollars. so um you're you get a competitive advantage against high-rise developers as an example um so that's usually where like right now from a portfolio or strategy perspective i'm thinking what does the world need we know in toronto we have a housing scarcity and we have we're at in the state of a real housing crisis so what does the world need and how do how can I provide that, create social value, but also create monetary value for myself, right? There's this this Japanese principle of of ikigai that's kind of like the intersection of all of these these good things, right? And and if you can if you can find something like that from an investment perspective, I think that's good. Especially if finding that intersection between passion and labor intensity, like you want to find the segue that you are comfortable spending those man hours and not questioning it while actually gaining from it and not spending all hours of the day in it. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, the almanac of Naval Ravikant also discuss, like he talks about this a little bit where like things that like, you know, ignite you a little bit more, you get impassioned about, you're more likely to do a good job at, right. You kind of, and it's like just the way your brains work, but like I, I have really bad ADHD. So like if I am not getting a dopamine hit from doing something, like there's a chance that I'm just going to do a really bad job at it. So for me, I actually have to like, be quite selective about what things I'm investing my time in because otherwise I'm just going to be like really not doing a good job. So let's talk about you then. Like in that process, like how did you decide that this was your passion? How did you come into this journey to now also run your own podcast, run your own like advice, like firm, like where, where are you at in this, in this space? Yeah. So I think a lot of it is like kind of what I I just described. Like, I think I really just like chase the dopamine, like go wherever, you know, you know, do what feels good for a lot. And as long as it's not like, you know, socially disadvantageous or, you know, hurting other people, then I think that that's like probably what's going to get most people the furthest in their life. And, and I, I just kept repeating that that process and and i and i i almost like got this sense of like pro at a period of time because i was like too many good things are happening to me you know like the opposite of paranoia like i was like what why but it, well, but it, why you know do we as humans do that why do we question it when yeah, it's, it's going good, well it is a good good question actually like i'm not i'm not necessarily sure but i guess i just you, you almost like develop a little bit of a sense of imposter syndrome right it's like do did i actually like make all of this happen or like am i entitled to this do i deserve this right and and so you you know maybe i don't know if it's like i've had to check my humility a couple of times over my life right so and you know and and sometimes you get punched in the face a bit by life as well and so you maybe just like get a little bit gun shy right and you're like oh, is this is this too good to be true like where what's the catch here right yeah when's the next hook coming in but when you, when you have those moments in life, I wonder if that's our programming from childhood or it's a just a necessary step to help us check ourselves. But then at the same time, how do you manifest from that process? Like, how do you keep going to, to get through it? It's, it's such a good question. Like, I think that there's probably the answer might be somewhere in the middle, right? Like, I think that, you know, there's a healthy dose of like humility and things like that. Because like, I think that if I was or, you know, for anybody, like if you're, if you're douchey about stuff, like it's not going to help attract good energy, right. As an example. And so I think that humility is something that's attractive. People like really, you know, they gravitate towards that and genuineness, like talking about content as an example, like I used to do like, 
you know, a couple of years ago, I was like very much like every other realtor on, on Instagram, like just, you know, lifestyle photos and this and that. And that works for some people, a lot of people actually, but it didn't for me, it wasn't congruent with who I was. And I was told by the industry that that's like what you do and how you, you know, how you make yourself, how you brand yourself. But it, it as soon as I was just like, I like talking about charts and like, I suck at production quality and like, that's okay. Like, and I just found this niche doing green screens on Instagram as an example, or like just doing the podcast, you know, that Nick and I are doing where it's two co-hosts just really like nerding out about real estate. Like those things succeeded because they're extremely congruent with who I am. Not because like they're anything, I don't think that they fill a void or are really like a step above anything else. I just think that it was like, I, I woke up and I could do it really well because it was exactly, I didn't have to put a hat on or put a mask on or change anything. I just, I just did what I do and it makes it easy. Right. And it, it makes you, it makes it fulfilling the irony as well. is If you wake up and, and show up as you, the world actually responds. And oftentimes we're taught with a cookie cutter system, but it isn't actually what makes greatness. It doesn't make the end product that you actually want. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah, that's an excellent point. Well, yeah. What's that? What was that moment for you when you realized you were in the flow? Like you were, you were in the right path. Give me a story there. I think like when I, a lot of these things kind of happened like at the same time for me when I started like, I started doing this, this Twitter space, which is like one of my favorite mediums. It's kind of like clubhouse. Like everybody knows about clubhouse. Basically Twitter did the same thing. Um, and I just started just talking about the, the real estate market with like a group of, it was live group of, you know, now it's thousands of people. Like I typically get three to 5,000 live listeners uh, a week. Um, so that I started doing that and I just iterated that every week. And I started like talking about charts. I've been posting charts, doing a lot of primary research and people were really respond. I was like, people like this stuff. And, um, and I didn't like, I, I loved it and I got, but I just never had a place to share it and never had an audience of people who actually got value from it and responded well, well to it. And then I think once that started happening, like once people were like giving me requests for like different pieces of data that I could like find, you know, on the, the Toronto real estate board, cause they were wanted to know the answers to these questions or like there was all of these different things happening at once. And then TikTok kind of like became the same thing where it was like, I think a younger audience, a different audience, but really the same content. Like I literally just take a screenshot of my tweet and then like explain the chart that I'm, that I've posted behind me. And so it made content creation for me exceptionally simple and, and rewarding. Like I was like, okay, this is very low input, very high impact. And once I started like being able to do that and being like, I know any, anything can, a news article can come out, a chart could come out and I know I can make a, I can make several pieces of, in a lot of cases, viral content, like some of these are getting millions of views on, on, on different platforms. I can do that in 10 to 20 minutes and I'll enjoy it. That was like when I was like, wow, like everything just happened. It, it all aligned perfectly. And I think I, I, mean, I, it feels like luck. Cause it, in a lot of cases feels a little bit too good to be true, but like a lot of it was just iterating over and over and over again and failing and like seeing what worked and then all, all of a sudden one thing stuck and I, and I just kind of got into, and I'm sure in like two years, like people are going to be sick of that type of content or there's going to be a new trend or whatever it is. And I'll have to kind of recalibrate. But as long as I think you're, you're trying and reiterating and, and like, then you can kind of fall back into that, that next 
thing, whatever it is. Let's talk about failure and confidence to keep going. Because you have that grit. You have that determination to keep producing. You're like, okay, if the market changes or the platform changes, I'll just adapt. Walk through that process. How do you inspire someone to also do that? Um, I would probably just tell somebody that they're going to die one day and that they should probably try and live before they do that. Like, I, honestly, like, and I don't know, like, I don't want to lean in too much to like anything, you know, like existential or whatever, but you know, like it's the Stoics talk about it. Um, a lot of people talk about this in like life. It's, it's like, I, I just became unafraid. I think, well, for me, it was like when I had, um, a, a, a kid, I have a daughter who's, who's six years old now. And I just became shameless. I was like, I don't really care. I really only care if, if she thinks I'm cool. And, um, and I'm just like, and I just make money and put food on the table. That's my, 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 my job here. And so whatever means to do that, I'm going to do. Um, Something unique happens when you have a child, that moment you have a child, oh, the whole world changes. Biological response. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a, yeah, for me, I was like a biological switch. Yeah, yeah, something happened for sure. Like I was a very different person before that. Not a good person, to be honest with you. But, um, but you know, like I think I I I, cha- I developed a lot more in that moment. Um, and, and I think, yeah, like to me, it's I, I noticed this in in my industry where there's like a difference between people who have like their personal Instagram account and then their real estate Instagram account. And it's like I don't know why, or like people don't want to they want to start like a they, they they name their like real estate business like something else right it's like why not just carry it with your brand like be willing to fail publicly I've, I've done it several times and like i can tell you that nobody cares like nobody remembers the several things that i failed at in the past my you know nick who's my co-host on the podcast same thing right if anything people just will come to you now and be like oh man it's so crazy like that now it's nice to see that you're perfectly like in what you're supposed to be doing like i know you tried so many things and it's like you you've got it like if anything they remember it to contextualize that like you're doing the right thing now but like i think a lot of people are just really afraid of like judgment they're afraid of um and and a lot of it's like projection like you assume that people are judging you, but you're really just judging yourself. Nobody really gives a shit. Sorry if I, I don't know if I can swear on here, but no, nobody gives a poop. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, so n- nobody cares really, honestly. So, and I th- there's a quote like this. It's like you know, you you never, or you know, you'll stop thinking about how much people think about you when you realize how little they actually do, right? Um, I'm just like that's I got lucky and that happened for me at a young age because I had a kid at a young age and I just I just stopped really caring what people thought. It's a it's a gift, honestly, because oftentimes people are by doing that and having two different spaces, a personal and a professional. You actually are telling the world that you're not as confident with the thing that you're going after. Um, and sometimes when you when you align everything and you are your brand it really does signify that you're ready. Yeah, no, it's true. You got to take ownership of it. And like, I think that it is like, if you're not all in, like people can feel that it's like, I don't like, you know, even if it's like a lot of people call it manifestation or whatever, but like there's biology behind this stuff. Like literally just like you're, if you think about it, you know, oh, I want to buy this certain car, right? Like, let's say I wanted to buy a, a, you know, a Volkswagen Beetle, just as an example, you start seeing them on the road everywhere, right? We know like you're, you have your brain has this thing called the reticular activation system that gives you the ability to focus on things that you've apply care to. And if you're not caring about things, then like you're not going to 
create the space for you to, to focus on them and be successful at those things. And people can feel that, right? So like, I think as you do, you know, as you, as you invest more, take the risk, people, you know, like I took ownership of everything and people respond so well to it. Like every day there's hundreds of people messaging me just random questions about real estate. And I'm like, I love that. Um, but I couldn't have done that if it was like some other brand where I was trying to distance it from myself because I was a little bit afraid that I wasn't going to be successful at it. So then what's your advice to someone that is kind of in that pocket where they have a, they're trying to disassociate with their brand because they think that that's professional? Um, ask yourself why you feel that way. Cause like if, if there's a, a, and like, it's not that you have to be defined by your work or anything, but like, what's it, what is social media really for? Like, is that your social life? Cause that might be a problem within itself that you need to think about. But like, if it's not your social life, then is it your bit, is it a place that you use as a marketing tool for your brand? And if that ends up being, if that's what it is, ultimately, if you're using it, then you got, you kind of have to go all in on that to create a healthy, like dis distance between business and social life as well. Like I don't socialize on social media. I don't at all. I don't, I don't really consume social media like either, I, but you can get in those habits of like flipping through and, and I've done it too. Like I get hooked on my phone for just cause you're, you're in the, the, the dopamine reward system. That's what it's designed for. Yeah. We're circling back to dopamine. <laughs> Yeah, but no, but really like that's what I mean, it, it's all there. Right. And um, it's, I think, yeah, I think like people got to ask themselves, like, why am I, why is that gap there? And it, like, is it cause I'm, I'm not sure what, if I want to be doing this forever or if I'm a realtor as an example, like, am I a little bit embarrassed that I'm a realtor? Cause everyone in Toronto is a realtor. And like, you know, when I'm out at a bar and somebody asks what I do, I say, I'm in real estate, not I'm a realtor as an example like what, what's the reason for the distinction? And then like, okay, you can kind of reverse engineer it, especially in a market like the one that we're in right now. Should I really even be doing this? Right. Nobody really stops to ask themselves that question. And then if not, what should I be doing? Like what, what is the thing that I would be doing with my life that I would take pride in presenting to everybody in the world? And if I failed at it, I wouldn't have any fear of judgment. If you can't find that thing, then like you got to, that's, that's a whole problem within itself, but you got, you kind of got to like, that's sort of the journey of life from my perspective is like, what is that thing that you should be doing? I got lucky because it's real estate, but, and I got lucky that I found it early, but I think a lot of people don't, don't like realize that you can actually have that in your life. Mm -hmm. And I also think that in a beautiful way, you were exposed to it from a young age. So you were able to find the alignment in something that you were exposed to. And oftentimes people don't know what's out there. So seeking it and running after it and trying everything is always a good place to start. It is funny in that respect, though, because I, I think like, uh, you know, I, I, I it took me a long time to, to realize that like, w the reason that I was working on a farm and going to the Swiss Army when I was a kid is because I didn't want to do anything that my parents did. Right. And it wasn't until, you know, I had change in perspective by, you know, being in the mountains in a country where I couldn't communicate with anybody because I spoke a different language and hiking 70 kilometers a day with a, or, or, or set doing 70 kilometer hikes. I don't think it's possible to hike 70 kilometers in a day, but doing 70 kilometer hikes with, uh, you know, with a, a huge backpack. Yeah, on. I did Machu Picchu. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, like, so I, I was like, oh, like my parents have an exceptional work-life balance and they're happy and it gives them the opportunity to you know, travel a lot and they can control their own schedules and they, they like their clients, their friends with the people that they work with, you know, they can invest in real estate. And, and so I think in a lot of cases, maybe just a shift in perspective as well, like being raised in it was great, but it also like, I, I, I grew up having like a resentment towards it. It was like, 
who works from home and who works all weekend and all of these things. Right. And, and then it, all it took was like a little bit of a change in, in the lens I was evaluating it from. And I discovered something new. Absolutely. And so what are the, you mentioned that you get asked questions often. What are the three most common questions that you get asked within real estate? Hmm. I mean, the big one is how do I do my first real estate investment? So you get a lot of people who rent or, or own and they want to get into investing in real estate. And, and, um, so that's probably the biggest one. And the answer to that question is go to a, a mortgage professional and find out how much leverage you can get to purchase an investment property. And once you've established a budget, then you go look at something. And if you, you know, or you go find, find a place that you can buy a property that, that you can qualify for. Um, yeah, the other one would be like, what's going to happen with the market? <laughs> and um, I, I don't really know, right? I'll be the first to admit that um, I have no idea. I think we can look at what happened. But you don't have a magic wand? Like you can't predict it? Yeah, no. Yeah, no crystal ball. Yeah, no, it, it's, I think you just look at history, right? You can only, and, and we saw what happened in 1981 at the end of a housing cycle. We saw what happened in 1989. Um, we saw even what happened in, in the GTA and. 2017 or in Vancouver in 2016 when there was policy that dropped prices. So, I mean, pick one of those and and tell me which one you think the scenario is most likely to, to emulate. And that's, that's your outcome. Like I can just, I, all I can do is share information. I don't, I actually don't really draw conclusions that often. Um, and so, yeah, so, so that's another one. Um, I think, you know, I don't know what the the third most frequent question would be like, what's the right time to buy or what's the best product to buy probably would be the three they'd be tied. Um, I'll answer maybe the best product one. I don't know if you're even asking me to answer these questions, but um, the best product that you can buy. I like it. You're, you're going for it. <laughs> Taking the initiative. Yeah. Um, the best product you can buy from an investment perspective is cash flowing from my perspective, cash flowing multiplex, duplex, triplex kind of thing um, on a large lot, ideally detached on a major arterial road in ideally within like an hour or two of a major urban center. So we do a lot in Cornwall, Ontario, as an example, because it's an hour from Ottawa and an hour from uh, from Montreal. And you can buy houses on the main road. You can usually get it at a discount because end users don't want to live on on main roads and you can duplex it let it cash flow for 10 years and then you can eventually because it's on a main road likely develop that property into higher density so maybe a sixplex or 12plex or whatever it is so that's the best investment you can make as a as a regular joe <laughs> i like the caveat thank you now if you were a middle tier investor where you let's say hypothetically you had access to and i say access to i'm um, 1.5 to 2 million run what would you put it into would you diversify would you pick one would you i i would probably i would probably buy a a larger multifamily property that had ad value potential um like ideally half 50 percent vacant as an example like we had an offer on a 20 unit up in northern ontario that Half of it was vacant and half of the rents were underperforming. Um, there's a, a, the Canadian government is, is really, and, and most governments, like even in the US, if you have a, a large US audience, like there are a lot of um, lending policies in place to help the creation of multifamily housing, you know, stable, good quality rental housing 
to help solve housing crises that exist in Canada and beyond. Most of North America, we're oversubscribed. More people want to live here than there are houses for those people to live in. So in Canada, we have CMHC's MLI Select program, which is basically um, mortgage loan insurance. That's what it stands for. And they'll insure large multifamily projects. It gets the interest rate way down. And you can also extend the amortization out to like 40 years as an example. So if you can buy like, it has to be more than six units, but if you can buy a property that's like that, or even a five unit and push it into six by adding a unit or whatever it is, then you can get access to this whole new type of credit, uh, this whole, whole credit product that is designed for making rental housing compelling for for investors and landlords to solve the housing crisis. Um, and so like, like understanding how things like this work is exceptionally important. Um, and that's that's what I'm doing. That's kind of the phase of my investing career that I'm in. So mid-tier investor, 1.5 mil in capital. Um, that's what I would be doing. Like we just did a 10plex uh, with this program around the, the budget that you're talking. Great. And then if you were to, let's go to a higher framework, if you had a 5.5 million runway, what would you do with that? At that point, I'd probably be getting into, no, I, I think like that's, I, at that point, I'd probably be getting into de- the development of, of housing. So I would be either building, you know, for sale condos or, you know, gra- small ground ba- based housing. I think like, you know, you can typically, if you structure a deal, pro- a development deal property properly, you can typically get into a development deal with like 10% equity. So if you have 5.5 million cash, let's say, you know, multiply that by 10 and that's kind of the project size you can take on. So you could build a 50 million ish. I mean, if you'd have, there's some, some other, I I probably couldn't do it, but if I brought in the right partners, I probably could. So it's not just a cash problem, but if you, you know, if I could curate the right piece of land, bring in the right people to help me develop and build that, that's what I would be doing. Cause you're going to get a huge, like that's where you really get into those, you know, big alpha, you know, big, value creation things alpha being you know like the the big change in um capital appreciation the the gains that you can make off of it are a lot steeper yeah um so then within this framework let's say someone who is completely uneducated in the in the space do they come to you or do they what's their first step in this whole process is it going to the mortgage broker figuring out what's going on with their level like where are they at yeah so i'm typically like we do have a full service team so we can take people through from mortgage all the way um on the investment side i don't really play much in the residential space like uh, with people looking for mortgages for that stuff so a lot of the the people that you know i interact with in the real estate space like that because i'm not really competing with other mortgage brokers or other real estate realtors um and yeah so i people typically will reach out to me and I'll connect them with my mortgage team, which includes Nick, my co-host, and then a business partner that we have that's kind of a little bit more behind the scenes. He's the real smart one, actually. He just doesn't doesn't like doing social media and stuff. Um, and we'll, yeah, we'll basically get them qualified and then we'll reverse engineer. Okay, you can buy, you know, maybe, okay, I don't, they're like, I don't like my budget. Okay, well, what can we do? Can we bring in a partner? Like, is there somebody that you'd want to do a deal with, right? Friend, family, whatever. Um if not, then okay, you're gonna have to go go back to the drawing board and save some money. Um, but you, the first thing that you really need to establish is how much you can spend. Your budget comes first, and then you kind of reverse engineer from that. So if you can spend 150 or 200k, if that's all you can get qualified for, 
you can there are places you can buy cash flowing properties in in Canada or maybe you can buy in the states right like I have guys buying in Detroit they're buying cash flowing and properties and making ridiculous amounts of money to be honest walk me through the US pro- US cross border um process for individuals um okay yeah it's it's a little it can be tough so a lot of people I can't even remember the name of the program and it does vary on a state by state basis but they have basically like a lending program for non-residents as an example. And there are different tax considerations. And most people that I know that end up buying in the States eventually want to move to or retire. Like, so maybe snowbird in the States. Um, and so if that ends up being the case, um, what they sort of the, they end up leaving most of their money there. So you're going to set up a, uh, a corp in the U S you're not trying to get the money back across the border. That's, there are, ways to do that humanely or easily but um most for the most part most people want to leave their their money there and expand their portfolio in the u.s so making that assumption you got to go find typically just find a local real estate professional and mortgage professional very much the same way i just explained to you that i would make somebody start in canada you know find the professionals that you need to like build your team out there and so you know go on zillow is probably the, the easiest place for people to start but i find that i Usually the professionals that I find through that site aren't aren't exactly what I need, but um, get introductions to agents and mortgage professionals in the local market and usually choosing a market first is probably the easier way to do it. So do some macro research. What cities do you think have upside potential in rents? What cities do you think are going to grow? What cities where you think you're going to see capital appreciation? What cities do you have the cap rates that you want to buy at? Once you've answered all those questions, pick a city, find the people in that city, and then the rest of it's pretty easy to do after that. Um, just getting your deal underwritten, you know, it's the same as it's probably a little bit easier to be honest with you than actually doing a deal in Canada because the US has just a completely different brand of capitalism and they're very committed to getting deals done and it's not super um yeah, it's just not yeah, and it's just not extremely regulated, right? Like it's just like they have thousands of lending institutions where in Canada we have six major banks, right? Or, you know, 20 or 30. So there's not a huge like scope of competition. Uh, you know, we have a very oligopolistic market in Canada for most, most services, you know, you have five telecom companies, five grocery stores, five banks, right? So, um, the U S is very different that way. So you can usually find people to, 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 to help you get the deal done a lot of years easier than you can in Canada. Any other recommendations that you would have for someone looking at at real estate from an investment portfolio, not as a place for them to live, but more so as investment. Yeah, I, I think um, examine like examine what the world needs right now and what you anticipate the world might need in five or ten years. Like, take your everybody has a perspective on what they how they think the future is going to shape up and what they think the world is going to look like, and just take those things and evaluate them and kind of reverse engineer uh, your investment strategy for real estate or for anything based on that. So if you think we're going to need more housing because immigration is going to perpetuate and, you know, then buy housing. Or if you think we're going to, you know, we're going to see onshoring of a lot of businesses because of supply chain erosion, then maybe start looking into industrial uh, businesses. If you think we're going to see lots of Etsy e-com people, you know, needing small commercial spaces to run their business out of then start start finding a way to invest in that stuff but i think real estate very much like and and this could the way i describe that could could be geographically variant as well so i think i'm i'm very bullish on calgary as an example versus 
uh, Montreal. And if you can pick the right city, we're very much like in in an economy where it's like a stock picker's market in the states or in the in the equities markets. You can you know you can if you pick the right stock, it could outperform the index substantially over the the short term and long term outlook. Right now, with where we're at in Canada, seeing this turnover, seeing kind of the housing cycle come to an end, and we'll be in a bit of a trough for a bit. If you pick the right asset, if you bet on the right racehorse, then I think that there's a way that you could have life-changing money by outperforming the market. And it's just figuring out what that is. And it, I, I'm just as likely to get it wrong as somebody else, but you know, establish your worldview and, and invest based on that for sure. And I think the the beauty in real estate is that you can have cash flow. You can you can kind of mitigate some of the risks. What are the main risks that you see um, for a new investor to look out for so that they don't burn their hand on the stove? Yeah, I mean, that's actually a great analogy because I think a lot of people, it's like scale and and leverage are, are the, the two biggest risks. Most people want to do too much too fast. And most people want to to do it with no money. And the, the barriers that are in place exist for a reason. You know, um, you can't get high leverage because people have been trying to buy properties with high leverage for the past hundred years. And that's how the global financial crisis happened in the United States. You know, that's how housing housing markets, housing bubbles happened and collapsed in Canada twice over the last hundred years. And so, you know, I understand that, that leverage is the big risk in real estate. Real estate isn't the big risk. Leverage is the risk. And then understand that, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to run. You can walk, you have to walk before you run. Like a lot of people don't understand the management intensity of 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 uh, real estate, and so like because it's really not passive income at all. Honestly, it's it's completely impassive. It is a side hustle, it really is. Like I'm talking to tenants regularly. I'm collecting checks regularly. I'm, you know, you can't get a plumber on three days notice right now. So I'm, you know, fixing toilets or fixing plumbing, right? Like and co- having to cultivate those skills. So if you don't have those skills, like as and this is like with, you know tens of units, not like I'm not, I wouldn't say the group that I have is a small scale investor by any means, but and we have management in place, but you, there's a lot of problems you can't solve. So understanding that piece as well, like that, this is going to be con- time consuming um, and difficult. Uh, I think those are things that people underestimate for sure. Well, thank you so much for being on here with us. And if people were to look for you, where would they find you? Uh, I have a relatively unique last name. So if you just Google me, Daniel Foch, F-O-C-H, um, you'll probably find me in, in the Google uh, results on a platform that Google thinks you're most likely to click the link on. I'm pretty much on everything now. And if, if there's a new platform that I'm not on that you want me to be on, just send me a message on another platform and I'll try. I'll give it a try. I like trying new platforms all the time. So but yeah, if you just Google me, I'm I'm pretty easy to find. I think that's what I like about you the most. You're willing to try. Yeah. I mean, well, what's... Try seems to be a theme. Yeah. You got to give it a shot. What's life all about otherwise? Like you said at the beginning, right? It's like about the journey. Like, I don't know. There's no there's no place to get to. That's what, as soon as people... The place that you get to, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but the place that you get to is that you're dead eventually. So, you know, enjoy the, the process of getting there. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.